welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week, you will encounter me, Daniel Gundlach, as your host, guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world. Thank you for joining me on that path. This week's episode. Hello, everyone, and Merry Christmas. I'm really excited about today's episode because it is a birthday tribute to a musician who has had the most significant influence on me in my own life and development as a musician. And today is his 93rd birthday. The San Francisco Opera presents a recital by tenor Luciano Pavarotti. Accompanied by pianist John Westman. Now, here is your host for this evening, Mr. Richard Thomas. There's some preliminary applause. And now, any moment, here he is, Luciano Pavarotti, with his pianist John Westman, to sing the first work in tonight's program, Bononcini's Per la Gloria d'Adorarve. For the glory of adoring you, I shall love and suffer. The famous white handkerchief is ready. I studied with John Wussman at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana in the mid to late 1980s. I was there longer than most of his other students, and therein lies a tale which I shall eventually tell you. 
I have a lot of stories to tell, no tales out of school, but I'm going to introduce the episode by reading a short bio that I found of him online, which is pretty thorough. But first I want to share a short clip of John Wussman's pianism, playing all by himself, not for any singer in particular. In the early 60s, he recorded 33 different albums for the Music Minus One Company. These were the recorded accompaniments for songs and arias for singers who needed a pianist. If one was looking for an accompanist, you could hardly do better than John Wussman, even if you were just singing along with a recording. In fact, I have several of those recordings, and I've just been singing along with them the past few days to some of the songs that I really love. And I have to say, everything is like so clear, so beautifully set out. I'm just going to play one little excerpt for you, since we are just in the midst of the holiday season. Here is the postlude of the Hugo Wolf song Epiphanias from the recording that John made of songs of Hugo Wolf. These were all recorded between the years 1961 and 63. This depicts the progress of each of the three kings in turn as they went their way toward trying to find the baby Jesus because they've just realized that they have stopped at the wrong tavern and there ain't no baby Jesus here. Pay attention, among other things, to the beautiful articulation, the wonderful legato, the enormous finger dexterity. I mean, he could play anything, which was never something that I personally could do. So I always stood in awe of that particular aspect of his talent. Now, since the general public's exposure to John Wussman was greatest in the era in which he was playing for Luciano Pavarotti, let's listen to an excerpt of their Carnegie Hall concert that was recorded in November 1987. This is the first of Liszt's three settings of sonnets of Petrarch. This is Pace non trovo, and it's rather more musically substantial than some of the Neapolitan songs and opera arias that Pavarotti frequently programmed on his recitals with piano.
Now I'm going to read for you from that bio that I found online, and I will punctuate that reading with excerpts that relate to the landmarks that are discussed as we go. John Wussman, who has been called the Dean of American Accompanists, studied with John Collin at the University of Michigan and in New York with Leonard Schur. He became affiliated with Robert Shaw, and his long and illustrious career took off like a comet. Not a comet that sputters and dies, but a comet that has continued to lighten the skies from that day to this. Now, mind you, I think this was several years ago. But still, Robert Shaw. Surely the most distinguished American choral conductor of the 20th century. I don't think we can really even dispute that claim. One of his former students told me, and I didn't realize this story, so I hope it's true, that um, John had auditioned for Juilliard and did not get in. But one of the members of the panel was another distinguished choral conductor, Margaret Hillis, who remembered his sight-reading abilities in particular, and recommended that he audition for the Robert Shaw Chorale. Not as a pianist, but as a singer. And he said to her, well, I'm no singer. And she said, it doesn't matter. Shaw needs good sight-readers. So John auditioned, was accepted into the chorus. And that's where he met his wife, Nancy, to whom he was married for many years until her death. And he also became lifelong friends with not only Shaw, but a number of other singers in the chorus, including alto Florence Kopleff and bass Thomas Paul. And one day, Shaw's regular pianist took ill, 
and John deputized for him, and from then on was asked to be the official accompanist of the Robert Shaw Chorale. Years after these events, I would say approximately 40 years, Robert Shaw invited John back to record the Liebeslieder Walzer of Johannes Brahms. This recording was made in the year 1993 with the Robert Shaw Festival Singers under the direction of Robert Shaw with pianist Norman Mackenzie, because, as probably some of you know at least, the Liebeslieder Walzer are scored for two pianos and chorus. So here is just a brief excerpt from that 1993 recording, Am Donaustrande, the ninth of the first group of Liebeslieder Walzer. Anyone who has come into John Wussman's orbit knows that there are certain things that are of primary musical importance to him. One of them that his pianists are taught is that you must play big. And I think you heard that in the way that he accompanied Pavarotti with such gusto in the Baroque aria Per la Gloria d'Adorarvi. Most pianists playing this rep these days would be tinkling around trying not to overwhelm the singer. Wustman was not one of those am I too loud kind of pianists. The first thing was when you're playing an aria, you double the bass in octaves. You give substantial support. You put the piano on the short stick. You never close the lid. You play big. Now, some people said that this meant that he was banging on the piano, and I simply must dispute that statement with extreme vehemence, because he also was capable of the greatest filigree work. We heard that in Epiphanias. 
He had the full range of expression, and he demanded that of his students as well. Now, another thing that was of enormous importance is that you took deliberate tempi and you didn't rush the tempo. So you always had clicking in your head a subdivision of what the beat was. This kept you from rushing the singer. It also meant that you kept the singer in line as well. Again, it's something that I hear so many pianists that rush. And singers these days, of course, they always need our support. Sometimes just keeping them in line tempo-wise. And speaking of things that singers need support in, this is the other huge thing about John Wussman. He taught legato. He taught legato like nobody else I've ever encountered. What that meant for singers is that you sing from vowel to vowel. You sing the vowel through to the end. You place the consonant before the beat, and you do not close down on the vowel. You don't go, like so many people do, alte, alte. So you feel that spin. And another thing that helps you to do that is by feeling those subdivisions of every single beat. And if you need to break it down into really small subdivisions, then you do that. And you make sure that you don't collapse the vowel going into the consonant. It sounds so simple, but it is so hard to do right and to do consistently. And that was always what he would say as well. It's simple, but it's really hard to do right. When I say that my work with John Wussman changed the way that I think about music, that I hear music, that I play music, that I sing music. That's what I'm talking about. It's all about legato, which, as he would also emphasize, is a way of life. It's all about breath, yeah? You can't live without breath. You can't sing without breath. And you can't play without breath either. Now, you can imagine that an artist of this caliber coming up in New York in the 1950s and 60s would be in enormous demand. And he made a lot of recordings during this time. Not only the music minus one ones, but as I mentioned, those are very important still to this day. There was also a recording. This was one of the first recordings of his that I encountered back when I was growing up. There was a record called Serenade, and it featured the Canadian bass baritone Donald Bell singing songs of Schubert and Löwe, and John Wussman was the pianist. And in fact, I remember asking him about this, and he said, I didn't know who Donald Bell was. He called me out of the blue and said he was making this record, and was I interested in doing it with him? And I'm not sure about this, but it might be his only commercial recording of Schubert, certainly of Löwe. So... Just to give you some idea of the panache with which he played, the zest, the ease, and the power of his playing, I'm going to play you the final track on the second side of that record, a song by Karl Löwe called Hochzeitslied, set to a text of Goethe. This is typical of Löwe, a ballad. It's shorter than many of Löwe's ballads. It tells the story of a count who, returning from the Holy Wars, found his castle in disarray and decided to simply sleep out of doors. It was warm enough on this autumn night, 
and he went to sleep and was awakened by the sound of elves who were carrying on their own wedding feast. And what he had witnessed done on a miniature scale, he went on to experience in his own refurbished castle. And that was two generations ago, and forthcoming on the morrow will be the wedding of that count's grandson. I am a big fan of Karl Löwe. I think I'm probably the only person out there who loves Löwe's songs. They're very episodic because they're ballads. Anyway, let's enjoy it right now. Here's Donald Bell with John Wussman accompanying Hochzeitslied. Wir singen und sagen von Grafen so gern, der hier in dem Schlosse gehauset. Da wo ihr den Enkel des seligen Herrn, der ihn heute vermählten, beschmauset. Nun hatte sich jener im heiligen Krieg zu Ehren gestritten, so mannigen Sieg. Und als er zu Hause vom Rössel einstieg, da fand er sein Schlösslein oben. Doch Diener und Habe zerstoben. Da bist du nun, Gräflein, da bist du zu Haus, das Heimische findest du schlimmer. Zum Fenster, da ziehen die Winde hinaus, sie kommen durch alle die Zimmer. Was wäre zu tun in der herbstlichen Nacht? So hab ich doch manche noch schlimmer verbracht. Der Morgen hat alles wohl besser gemacht. Drum rasch meine mundlichen Hölle ins Bett, in das Stroh, ins Gestelle. Als er im wilden Schlummer so lag, bewegte sich unter dem Bett. Die Ratte, die raschte, solange sie mag, ja, wenn sie ein Bröselein hätte. Doch siehe, da steht ein winziger Licht, ein Zwerglein so zierlich mit Ampellenlicht, mit Rednergebärden und Sprechergewicht am Fuß des ermüdeten Grafen, der schläft er nicht. Möchte doch schlafen. Wir haben uns fester hier oben erlaubt, seitdem du die Zimmer verlassen. Und weil wir dich weit in der Ferne geglaubt, so dachten wir eben zu prassen. Und wenn du vergönnest und wenn dir nicht traut, so schmausen wir Zwerge behaglich und laut zu Ehren der reichen und niedlichen Braut. Der Graf im Behagen des Traumes bedient euch immer des Raumes. Da kommen drei Reiter, sie reiten hervor, die unter dem Bette gehalten. Dann folgt ein singendes, klingendes Korpus, sieliche kleine Gestalten. Und Wagen auf Wagen mit allem Gerät, das ein zu hören und sehen vergeht, bis nur in den Schlössern der König steht. Zuletzt auf der goldeten Wagen, die Braut und die Gäste getragen. Es brennt nun alles in Feuer. 
Rollen genommen und hält sich im Saale sein Plätzchen. Zum Drehen, zum Walzen und lustigen Hopp ergießet sich jeder sein Schätzchen. Da pfeift es und geigt es und klingelt und klirrt, da ringert und schleift es und rauscht und wird, da pispert und knistert und flistert und schwirrt, das Gräflein ist blickt in Übel, es dünkt ihn als Ecke im Liebe. Und Apples und Rappels und Klappels im Saal von Bänken und Stühlen und Tischen, da will nun ein jeder am festlichen Mahl sich neben dem Liebchen erfrischen. Sie tragen die Würste, die Schinken so klein und braten und fischen Geflügel herein. Es kreiset beständig der köstliche Wein, des Tosen und Kose zu lang. Da pfeift es, da ringelt es, da pisst es, da geigt es und schleift es und knistet es, das klingelt und rauscht und flistet und klirret und wirret und schwirrt. Und Apples und Rappels und Klappels von Bänken und Stühlen und Tischen, da will nun ein jeder beim Mahle sich neben dem Liebchen erfrischen. Das Tosen und Kose zu lange verschwindet zuletzt mit Gesange. Und sollen wir singen, was heute geschehen, vorschweigen das Boden und Posen. Denn was er so artig im Kleinen gesehen, er vor, er genoss, er im Großen. Trompeten und Siegende klingender Schall und Reiter und Wagen und bräutlicher Schwall. Sie kommen und zeigen und neigen sich all unzählige Another of the great tenors with whom John worked was Richard Tucker. And in the year 1966, they made a recording together. I think it was called The Art of Bel Canto. And it's certainly one of Tucker's most impressive recordings vocally. These arrangements of many of that G. Shermer book of old Italian songs are, well, they're very much of the period. I'm going to play you a very brief excerpt from Giaisole dal Gange by Alessandro Scarlatti, and this is Richard Tucker, and John Wussman is playing harpsichord and leading the Columbia Chamber Ensemble. <laughs> Coraggio dorato, coraggio dorato, in gemma, in gemma ogni stelo, in gemma ogni stelo, in gemma, in gemma ogni stelo. E gli astri del cielo dipinge nel prato, dipinge nel prato, dipinge nel prato, dipinge nel prato. Coraggio dorato, coraggio dorato, in gemma, in gemma ogni stelo, in gemma ogni stelo, in gemma, in gemma ogni stelo. Wussman's New York years read like a veritable history of singers and singing. He was pianist for the rehearsals of the American Opera Society's presentation of Bellini's Il Pirata that occurred in Carnegie Hall in 1959. No less an artist than Maria Callas was featured in that presentation, and Mr. Wussman would later serve as a member of the jury at the fourth international Tchaikovsky competition in Moscow with Madame Callas.
And while he was there, he was contacted by Melodia, the official Soviet recording company, to make a recording with the great Russian mezzo-soprano Irina Arkhipova, which was to consist of seven songs of Rachmaninoff on one side and the Mussorgsky songs and dances of death on side two. This recording went on to win the Grand Prix du Disque in the year 1973. This is considered by many to be the definitive recording of this cycle. This is another early exposure that I had to the recorded legacy of John Wustman. I remember buying this record off of a list of cutouts right before I left for college. It was issued in the U.S. by Melodia Angel Records, and it had this horrific painting on the cover of this pile of skulls with crows sitting on top. It was by some Russian artist, and it was called Spoils of War, and it filled me with complete and utter horror, but that was only matched when I played this recording, in which Arkhipova is at her absolute peak and Wussman matches her. It is an absolutely terrifying performance, and I chose to play for you today the second song of the unfinished cycle. This is Serenade, in which a mortally ill young woman stands out on her balcony and is serenaded by death. Oh, no. 
While I was a student at U of I, many great singers would come to the Cranert Center and perform on their Distinguished Artist series. One that I will never forget was when Marti Talvela, the Finnish bass, appeared on that series with the pianist Rolf Gotoni. He is such an extraordinary artist, a real musical polymath, a composer and pianist. And I will tell you, I remember going to my lesson after that concert, and Wussmann was full of praise and awe for both Talvela and Gotoni, and he knew what he was talking about. But that was a hair-raising performance, and Talvila died very shortly thereafter, quite suddenly, of a heart attack. Another artist whom appeared on that series was the Italian tenor Carlo Bergonzi, and on that occasion, who played for him, but my teacher, John Wussman himself. And one of the numbers that they performed was Rossini's La Danza, which, as I commented recently on one of my Renata Scotto bonus episodes, boy, that is a killer of a piano part. And here is Bergonzi and Wussman's 1977 recording of La Danza that was made for Columbia Records. Oh, 
Now back to that online biography. During this time, he traveled abroad under the aegis of the Fulbright Commission and also the United States State Department, teaching master classes in German leader in Uruguay, Peru, and Argentina. He has appeared in the leading concert halls of five continents with some of the greatest singers from the second half of this century, names such as, and this is the first, last, and only time I will ever speak this person's name on the podcast, Elisabeth Schwarzkopf, Birgit Nielsen, Regine Crespin, Christa Ludwig, Nikolai Gedda, and a host of others, to which I would add the names Eleanor Stieber, Cesare Valletti, Jenny Turrell, William Warfield, Evelyn Lear, Gwyneth Jones, Rita Streich, Anna Moffo, Mac Harrell, Gianna D'Angelo, Fernando Corena, Richard Lewis, Giulietta Simeonato. In other words, lots and lots and lots of great singers, some of whom we will be hearing later on the episode. Certain highlights include a series of televised recitals with Mr. Pavarotti, including the first recital from the Metropolitan Opera House in 1978. His recordings include song recitals with Régine Crespin, Carlo Bergonzi, and Brigitte Fassbender. Since 1968, Mr. Wustman has been professor of music at the University of Illinois, where he founded the Vocal Coaching and Accompanying Program in 1973. His presence is keenly felt in his master classes and recitals, often devoted to the works of one composer. I first auditioned for the accompanying program at the University of Illinois in the spring of 1983. I had been accepted as a student on the basis of my academic record, as had my boyfriend at the time, Tim Carney, who was admitted into the DMA choral conducting program. But I needed to be accepted as the student of one of the two accompanying teachers. Alas, I did not get accepted into the accompanying program, and I had put all of my eggs in that basket. And I understand why I wasn't, frankly. I simply didn't have the technical facility, the pianistic aptitude. So I entered the musicology program, and I spent one year in complete and utter agony, realizing that while I'm not a dummy, I'm sure not a musicologist. And that is not my way of thinking about or looking at music. So the other thing that I did that entire year is I practiced hour upon hour upon hour every single day. And that following January, I went back in and I re-auditioned for the program. And this time I was accepted as a student of John Wustman's. There were a number of pieces that one had to prepare for the audition. And there was also a very challenging sight reading portion. I'll never forget at that first audition, they plopped the Hugo Wolf song Frühling übers Jahr in front of me with I don't know how many sharps. I think it was 26 sharps, perhaps. And I just looked at it with all those sharps and I just thought, oh my God, there ain't no way in all those 16th notes. And I just completely botched it. I will confess now that 
one of the things that I worked on in those intervening months was making sure that I actually could play Frühling Übersjahr. So when they put it in front of me as my sight reading exercise, I had practically memorized the damn thing. I still could barely get through it, but um, nevertheless, I was accepted. And that was that. Another song that one had to prepare was the Schubert song Auflösung, set to a text of Meyerhofer. It's one of these transcendent pieces all about this larger-than-life striving toward the heavens and toward eternity, rejecting the world and responding only to the inner song that propels one forward into the heights. That was another one I just had to work my ass off on. And I found a live recording of John Wussman performing this with one of his very favorite singers, Birgit Nielsen, in a live concert in New York in December 1967. So here are the two of them performing the shit out of Auflösung. Once I was accepted as a student of John's, I learned what is all involved in being a good accompanist for singers. And one thing that nearly was my undoing was learning to play arias from full score. This was something that John was very insistent about. Well, I never really got the hang of it. Because, you know, you have to transpose the horn parts 
You have to transpose the woodwind parts. You have to see every single thing that is happening on the score and read it up and down and still keep things moving, filling in all of the notes that are simply left out of most piano vocal scores. I was not good at this. I took in exactly two arias, De Vieni, Non Tardar, and Dove Sono, both from Le Nozze di Figaro. And now I have an incredible treat for you. Here is from an absolutely extraordinary New York concert from November 1970. John Wussman accompanying Renata Scotto, who's performing, not Susanna, but Countess. Yes, she's singing Dove Sono. It is the most distinctive version of this aria that I think I've ever heard. It's so fascinating listening to Italian singers performing Mozart because there's none of that Viennese refinement and prissiness. This is gutsy. This is text-driven. It is extraordinary. Before I play it, I want to make one more observation. Singers back then had huge personalities, and they needed the support of a figure like John Wussman. Not ostentatious, but also not shy and retiring. He gave them the sound that they needed to be able to support not only their big voices, but their big personalities. And you hear that so clearly in this out-of-this-world performance of Dove Sono. Susan! 
Another singer with whom Wussman performed a lot was Régine Cospin, surely the greatest French soprano of the second half of the 20th century. I mean, there's not anybody else who even comes close. Some fine singers, perhaps. And Crespin was an erratic artist, vocally speaking. She encountered enormous vocal difficulties beginning around the time that Carian asked her to sing Brunhilde. I don't know if that in and of itself was responsible for her real vocal breakdown. She was also having some personal problems. I believe her marriage was falling apart. And, you know, menopause, it happens. Recently, there's been a big discussion in our business about women's bodies and women's voices. Certainly, Crespin was a singer who also encountered a fair amount of vocal difficulty. But when she was on, my God, people who heard her live, and I did hear her live once, but it was as Madame de Croissy, so it was one of her great acting parts for sure. But by then the voice was significantly diminished and reduced in size and range. But many people that I know who heard her in her prime said that it was not only one of the most beautiful voices they had ever heard, but also one of the biggest. And so who better to support her than John Wussman? Now, he himself told me that it was he who introduced the music of Hugo Wolf to Crespin, who had not really programmed his music before that. And of course, Wussman, in, I think it was more or less the late 50s and early 60s, for a number of seasons, played for that soprano, that German soprano that I mentioned at the beginning. She's not a singer that I like. She's not a singer that I will ever play. If I had found a recording of the two of them performing together, I would have played it just for his contribution. But I have something even better than anything with ES or whatever you want to call her. This is a recording of Crespin and Wussmann performing Hugo Wolf's setting of Kennst du das Land. The official title of the song is Mignon. She's a character in the Goethe novel Wilhelm Meister's Apprenticeship. She's a mysterious figure who has memories from early childhood of growing up and passing through Italy. And that's what this song evokes. And it is surely in my estimation at least, the most intense setting of this song that has been set many, many times by many different composers. I worked on this song with John, and I don't think I've ever heard anyone play it with greater aplomb and intensity. So here, from a live Carnegie Hall recital in February 1969, are Régine Crespin and John Wussman performing Mignon of Hugo Wolf. Kennst du das Land? <laughs> 
John and I had a great rapport. For one thing, his great musical love is Lieder. And that was the music that I wanted to work on in my lessons. Many of my fellow accompanying students would take singers into their lessons and work on opera arias. And I did learn a lot of that repertory with John. But my primary focus in those years was working on art song, and specifically the big song cycles and anything that I had to prepare for the multitude of recitals that I had to play. One of the cycles that clearly meant a great deal to him was the Robert Schumann Liederkreis, Opus 39, which are settings of the poetry of Josef von Eichendorf. He actually recorded this cycle twice, once with Régine Crespin in 1966, and then 11 years later with the American mezzo-soprano Mildred Miller. I remember he had such original ideas about this cycle and how it should be performed. And he imparted so many of those to me. And I remember specifically the Schumann cycles working on those with him. The piano is so prominently featured and the accompaniment acquires a different kind of importance than it does even in the Lieder of Schubert. So I'm going to play for you from his second recording with Mildred Miller, the Waldesgespräch, the third of the Eichendorf Liederkreis cycle. It's a conversation between a knight traveling through the forest who comes upon a young woman abandoned and offers chivalrously to help her. And she tells him, please go away. You have no idea who I am. But he persists nonetheless. And then suddenly in a flash, he recognizes her for what she is, the water sprite, the Lorelei. And she says, basically, I told you to get away from me with your patriarchy, and you wouldn't do it. So now I'm going to drag you down to the bottom of the Rhine. Ha, ha, ha. It's too late for you, and you will never, never return to these woods. And in the postlude, the main theme recurs. And I remember him saying to me, you hit that low D as hard as you can. You put down the sustaining pedal, and you hold it all the way through the postlude, because what it depicts is him being dragged down into the water, into the murky depths, and everything becomes shimmery and clouded. And that's what happens with the harmonies. And in his recording with Crespin from 66, he doesn't play it that way. But in this recording with Mildred Miller, he does. And let this excerpt also act as a tribute to the great Mildred Miller, who died just a few short weeks ago at the age of 99, just on the threshold of her 100th birthday. By this point, her career had been going for many decades, and the voice is not exactly fresh, but it's also not wobbly and out of control. And what's exceptional is her extraordinary German diction. It is virtually perfect, and she gives a very compelling performance. This is Waldesgespräch. This is too spät. Es ist schon kalt. Was reizt du einsam durch den Wald? Der Wald ist nah, du bist allein. Du schöner braucht dich für dich heim. Groß ist der Mensch. Oh, 
Another thing that John and I really appreciated about each other is that we loved gossip and we loved singers. And so he could tell me stories about these singers and I knew who he was talking about and I would listen with such gusto. Sometimes it seemed as if maybe we gossiped more than we actually worked on repertoire. But that was part of my education, frankly. I mentioned that he had done a couple recordings with Crespin, and he told me a story as we were working on the Italienisches Liederbuch, which was one of my master's recitals projects. I played the entire cycle. I think I asked about six different singers, three sopranos, three baritones. We worked these really intensely, and I have to say that Wussmann, through his work with, I'm saying her name again, Schwarzkopf, really came to love Hugo Wolf. In fact, in the years before I arrived at U of I, he did full concerts of all of the different Wolf collections of songs, the Mörke Lieder, the Italienisches Liederbuch, the Spanisches Liederbuch, and he had posters of these in his studio. One of my master's projects was doing the Italianisches Liederbuch. And boy, did I have to work hard on those. Those accompaniments are not easy. In particular, the final song, Ich hab in Penna, has this postlude, like the crack of a whip. The singer tells us about all the different lovers that she has all through the different regions in Italy. And the vocal climax is when she says, Zehn in Castiglione. You know, I have a lover here, a lover there, and in Castiglione alone, I have ten. 
Wussman told me the story about when he and Regine recorded this in London in 1967, that directly at the end of the session, she had to hop on a plane to go see her man. And she said, okay, toodaloo, have fun recording this postlude. And she left him alone in the studio. And he was, let's just say, a little nonplussed at being left alone. And he said that his irritation with her gave him the impetus that he needed to play the shit out of that postlude. So this is that recording. Every time I hear it, I think of that. And boy, it just, it just makes me smile. Another great singer that Wussmann worked with later on was Brigitte Fassbender. She contacted him kind of out of the blue in 1987, which was, I think, the last academic year that I worked with him, 87-88, yes. She had been asked to make a recording that was to feature songs by the German composer Klaus Ogermann, his Tagore leader, and she couldn't find anyone who was willing to learn this very, very difficult music. And John was good friends with Fassbender's girlfriend, and the girlfriend suggested that Fassbender contact him. They had never worked together before, but during the Christmas break in December 87 and maybe into January 88, they met and rehearsed and recorded these songs alongside the Berg, Opus 2, and five of the Mahler Knabenwunderhorn songs. I don't think they ever did any other work together. Fassbender's in her late prime here. The voice is starting to get a little unwieldy, a little wobbly, but she had such a great imagination as a performer. I think she's really unmatched in that regard. I was so thrilled that my teacher was going to be making a recording with a singer that I so deeply admired. And he came back full of wonderful stories about those sessions and about their work together. Now, I am going to play for you one of the Knabenwunderhorn songs, and I have a specific reason for having chosen this one. It's Des Antonius von Padua Fischpredigt. Antonius von Padua preaches to the fishes. I think another reason that John and I had such a strong bond is that he was also brought up in an ultra-religious environment. He was raised Dutch Reformed in Michigan, and I, of course, was raised Missouri Synod Lutheran in Wisconsin. So that was a very strong bond that we had both survived that kind of an upbringing. And so in this song, it's the story of a pious monk who finds his church empty and instead goes to preach to the fishes. 
The fishes all nod their heads in agreement, but at the end, they simply return to their old habits and behaviors. This also reveals John's wonderful sense of humor, because he is a very, very funny man. Oh my goodness, we laughed so much. And so, that's why I chose for you Des Antonius von Padua Fisch Predigt with Brigitte Fassbender and John Wussmann in this 1987 recording. Zur Predigt die Kirche beledigt, er geht zu den Flüssen und predigt den Fischen. Sie schlagen mit den Schwänzen im Sonnenschein glänzen, im Sonnenschein, Sonnenschein glänzen, sie glänzen, sie glänzen, glänzen. Die Karpfen mit Rogen seid all hier zogen, habt Sich zuhört, beflissen. Kein Predigt, niemand. Die Fischen so fallen. Die 
Gefechte bleiben Diebe, die alle sie lieben, sie predigt abfallen, sie bleiben wie alle, die Krebs geht zurück, die Stoffisch bleibt dicke, die Kanten sie fressen, die predigt vergessen, vergessen, die predigt abfallen, sie bleiben wie alle, die predigt abfallen, abfallen. Another singer that John absolutely adored working with and with whom he did frequent concerts in the time that I studied with him was Gwyneth Jones. He played for her Carnegie Hall debut recital in January 1978 while she was appearing at the Met as the Marshallin. A few years later, during my time working with him, he and Gwyneth had a unique experience together that also relates to the puritanical nature of religion. They were performing together, I want to say it was at Bob Jones University, it could also have been Texas Christian, I don't know, one of those ultra-right-wing colleges. And they were performing an art song recital. And, you know, Gwyneth was rightfully proud of her body, and would often wear very low-cut concert gowns. So they were getting ready to go on to do this concert when suddenly a knock comes at the door and it is a woman carrying a sewing box and a big piece of lace. And they indicated to Gwyneth that she could not go on until her décolletage had been properly covered. So this woman pulls out this lace doily that she sewed into the bodice of the dress, to cover up the cleavage. (laughs) And another thing that we talked about in relation to this, he said, you know, Europeans don't really understand right-wing religious puritanism as practiced in the United States. And he said that that was a real eye-opening experience for Gwyneth, just seeing how far this sort of thinking could be taken. I said I had something to play of John and Gwyneth together. This is the final item on that Carnegie Hall concert from January 1978, Richard Strauss's Cecilie. And I want to point out one other thing about this. You know, John was very much play big or go home. Don't be a namby-pamby. Just do it. Play with great schwung. Play with great thrust. And sometimes... What this would mean is that a few notes could get lost here and there. Or, as in this case, maybe even a few bars at the end of the song. This was the end of the program. The audience wants to burst into applause. She's just sung this amazing high B. So I'm just going to, like, cut out these horrible bars and just do three big chords and leave it at that. And that's exactly what he does. I love it.
Now, just to return to Caspin for a moment, I would often take in French repertoire. And John was not terribly enamored of that. He much preferred the German repertoire. That was that. But he tolerated me bringing in Debussy and Poulenc. How could he not play this stuff masterfully? As I said earlier, he had been working with the greatest French soprano of the late 20th century. So, of course, he plays it brilliantly and in his very own style. So here is, from a live New York concert in February 1970, a recording of Violon, the fifth song from the Poulenc cycle Fiancailles pour Rire, settings of the poet Louise de Villemorin. He takes a very deliberate tempo. He plays with enormous panache and legato, and Crespin characterizes this in the most deliciously sultry slightly inebriated way. I absolutely love this performance. Harking back to that biography, on January 31st, 1997, Mr. Wussman completed a six-year series of recitals 
celebrating the 200th anniversary of Franz Schubert's birth. This labor of love, as Wurstmann terms it, featured performances of each of the Viennese masters' 598 songs. Mr. Wurstmann is in constant demand as pianist, adjudicator, and teacher, and since 1985 he has presented a series of classes at Valparaiso University in Valparaiso, Indiana, for a two-week study course during the summer of vocal repertoire for singers and pianists. His students are engaged as singers, conductors, and repetiteurs at the Metropolitan Opera Company, Houston Grand, San Francisco Opera, Chicago Lyric, Munich Staatsoper, and La Scala. And I should also mention they're also engaged as podcasters, or at least one of them is. Since 1999, he has been a member of the Center for Advanced Study of the University of Illinois. This is the highest honor and award the university endows. Truly, John Wustman is a musician's musician, a singer's friend, a man for all seasons. Here's a slightly updated bio. In 2001, he taught a guest course at the Hochschule für Musik in Vienna and master classes at the Franz Liszt Academy in Budapest. He traveled to St. Petersburg to serve as a jury member for the international Elena Obrastova opera competition. Erie Mills, Zhuzheng, Jerry Hadley, William Stone, Susan Dunn, and Eric Halverson number among his former students. He has been honored professionally with invitations to present master classes at hundreds of colleges, conservatories, and universities. He was awarded the 2007 World of Song Award by the Board of Directors of the Lotte Lehmann Foundation. Professor Wustman has received honorary degrees from Eureka College and Valparaiso University. And I will just mention that that World of Song Award came about because of me. <laughs> I was sitting at that time on the board of the Lehman Foundation, and I strongly recommended that he be given this award, which was so richly deserved, as he was devoted throughout his professional career, as was Lotte Lehmann, to the dissemination of the German Lied in particular. There was one time in my life that I actually sang with John Wussmann. It was privately. It was in his studio. But it was in the year 1995, and I was working at Chicago Lyric, and I was preparing a concert at which I sang a group of Schubert, including the very long song called Die Erwartung. It's very episodic, set to a text by Schiller. And I took it in, and we worked on it together. He had performed the song on that complete series of Schubert, but it's really one of the longer of the Schubert songs. I think it's 15 or 17 minutes long because it's in so many different sections. So we worked on it together. And that was an incredible experience being under his tutelage because by that time I was working less as a pianist and much more, much more as a singer. But he had always supported my vocal performing. I remember, I don't want to go into too much about this right now, but by a wonderful set of circumstances, my friend Peter Nielsen and I did a concert with my drag alter ego, Daniela della Scarpone. Peter had reserved Smith Music Hall 
for a concert that he was to give with a mezzo-soprano who was coming from out of town. She arrived sick, and therefore they couldn't do the concert. But the hall had been reserved. That entire fall, Peter and I had been goofing around, singing soprano arias and duets together. Most often he would accompany me, and we created this persona, Daniela della Scarpone, and because the hall was free that night, and because we had a whole repertoire of arias, we put on an impromptu concert in which I impersonated this Italian diva making her U.S. debut. This was, of course, long before the internet, but word spread like wildfire that this illicit event was going to be taking place, and the hall was packed. And among the attendees were John and Nancy Wustman. After that event, I went into my lesson, and he said to me, Have you ever considered performing Pierrot Lunaire? And I said, Well, no, not really. He said, Because you're so damn musical. This was exactly how he put it. And I thought to myself, hmm, well, I'd never really thought of doing anything other than singing soprano arias, and that merely as a joke. But that put me on the path to actually becoming a professional singer. I'm not sure he expected me to become a countertenor, but, uh, you know, I always followed my own lights. And what was interesting is that we didn't always agree about everything. There were a lot of singers that I loved that he simply had no time for. <laughs> anyway, I'm going on and on and on. I want to play you a Schubert song, which I think this was his only studio recordings of Schubert, were the ones that he did with Donald Bell. Excepting, of course, the Music Minus One volumes. So here is Aus Heliopolis, one of those superhuman transcendent kind of Schubert songs. Stop 
Among the recordings that I unearthed in putting this episode together, I found an absolutely extraordinary 1968 concert that Wussmann did with Nikolai Gedda. I have never heard Gedda sing with such abandon. It's one of the most thrilling live concerts I've ever heard. And I have two excerpts from that to play for you as the episode winds down. First is the Edvard Grieg song Entrun, A Dream, that is all about a dream that actually comes to life. And second is the Tchaikovsky song Don Juan's Serenade. Both of these men perform, especially the Tchaikovsky, as if possessed. I've never heard anything quite like it.
And this was my teacher. <laughs> I still cannot believe what he did for me by taking me into his studio. I worked with John during the period when the wonderful American soprano Susan Dunn was first coming to prominence. She was a protege of his. He was her coach, and he guided her quite expertly through her career, which didn't last as long as it might have, but boy, was she an amazing singer. I encountered her many times in his studio. She'd be coming in for a lesson after I was finishing one off, and I always found her to be such a genuine and lovely person. And she has also remained a friend to this day. Remember I mentioned to you that John performed with his students the more or less complete songs of Hugo Wolf in the early 1980s. At the time that Susan first began working with him, he said to her how much he'd like to make a recording with her. Many years later, she arranged for him to record the complete Mürike Lieder with her and her colleague from those concerts in the 80s, baritone Thomas Potter. I'd like to present a song from that release, appropriate as we stand at the brink of a new year. Zum neuen Jahr, a prayer for the new year. The recording, as far as I can determine, is from the year 2010, and we hear John Wussman and Susan Dunn. Zum neuen Jahr. I shall most likely produce one final bonus episode before the end of the year, which I suspect will be comprised of 
further Wurstman material because I found a lot of astonishingly good stuff and I'm really excited to share it with people. This week, I would like to welcome Christina as a new supporter. She and her husband, Paul, have actually been listeners and supporters for a while. And Paul was already supporting the podcast, and he talked Christina into coming on board as well as a way of providing further financial support. So thank you both. Thank you, everyone who is already a supporter. Thank you for everyone who listens to the podcast. I'm so grateful for all of you. If you would like to also be a supporter of the podcast on Patreon, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody. Just last week, I posted two bonus episodes featuring Christmas music that also served as a memorial to the great German tenor Peter Schreier, who died four years ago today, Christmas Day. When you go to that Patreon page, you can choose between making a yearly or a monthly contribution. Now, things are going to be changing a lot around here in the month of January as I roll out Season 5 of the podcast. So stay tuned for all of those very interesting things. This, meanwhile, is finally and definitively the final episode of Season 4, which I have strung out now for several additional months. I was in touch this last week with John Wustman to extend my heartfelt happy birthday greetings to him. He wrote back almost immediately, as he always does, and he told me that next month he is going to once again be performing live, doing a performance of the complete Winterreise. Yes, at the age of 93. This gives you some sense of the central role that music has occupied in his life. And I am so grateful that I have been able, for all of these decades now, to be able to share and learn from his delight in music and all that it does to ameliorate and make palatable the world in which we live 2023 has been such a difficult year for so many people. I was looking through my Facebook feed yesterday, so many people alone, so many people suffering, so many people having experienced the death of loved ones, their own personal health challenges. I know in my own family, we have had some very serious issues that we're dealing with, not to mention the situation in the world, which I can't even begin to think about without being plunged into the most profound despair. So I'd like to conclude this birthday tribute to my friend, mentor, and teacher, John Wussman, with one final selection from Gwyneth Jones's 1978 Carnegie Hall recital. The Richard Strauss song, Morgan, the poet expresses the belief that the sun will shine again tomorrow. The quality of this recording is not great, but frankly, the sort of underwater quality evokes a dreamscape for me. Stumm werden wir uns in die Augen schauen, und auf uns sinkt des Glückes stummes Schweigen. With best wishes for the year 2024, and with most sincere and heartfelt happy birthday wishes, to my beloved teacher, John Wussman. My dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach. (laughs) 